This episode of the Fabulous Learning Nerds is sponsored by MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Schools can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, win time, activity periods, RTIs, counselor, and teacher appointments, and much more. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash B to learn more and receive $500 off the first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash B-E. Welcome back. It's a new year full of new opportunities to learn and grow. Of course, the new year brings new resolutions, losing weight, starting a new career. Or maybe some of you are thinking about refocusing on education for yourself or your kids and considering homeschooling as an option. If that's you, then you're in luck. Today, we welcome Christy Houle, a former teacher, principal, outreach coordinator, and host of the Classroom Matters podcast. Christy successfully transitioned from teaching in a classroom to providing rich learning opportunities for her kids at home. And she's here to share her story and debunk some homeschooling myths so we can all make the right decisions for our families. Let's dive in and get started. They are the fabulous learning nerds. Because if you're tired of the old ways of getting it done, you've got the fabulous learning nerds. Scott, Dan, and Abby are making it fun. The best ideas that you've ever heard. So everybody spread the word. They're going to keep you wheels turning. The fabulous learning nerds. Everyone, welcome back to another fantastic episode of your Fabulous Learning Nerds. I'm your host, Scott Judy. And with us, he's jolly, he's happy, Dan Coonrod. Dan the man. Oh, yeah. Dan. What's up, Scott? You know, I I am jolly. <laughs> you are. You are. What are you doing on the 24th, starting at about, oh, 3 o'clock, you know? Do you kind of like disappear for a while and then maybe we'll see you the next day? Um, Is that kind of the deal? I'm or? really not at liberty to discuss what happens around oh. the holiday time. Like I said, I, we, don't, I don't do holidays. So, you know, but yeah. <laughs> I got gotcha. you. Okay. That's a secret. Let's, if you would like to know what Dan Coonrod is actually doing Christmas Eve, you could email us at learningnerdscast.gmail.com. <laughs> Other than that, how you doing, sir? You know, I'm, uh, I'm fair to Midland. I'm fair to Midland, sir. I, you know, I feel like, I feel like that's always the setup and serve. Like, uh, you're just waiting there with the fair to Midland button to pounce. That's my job. Really, honestly, and that's what good leaders do. We we set and we let everybody else kind of spike at home. I mean, that's kind of what how we do it. So, which is great. Um, did you get your kids a Krampus on the counter yet? I haven't yet, but I want to. I really do. Um, you know, I I absolutely positively love the idea. So, like, okay, Elf on the Shelf is like a tattletale. What does Krampus on the counter do? Like, if you're bad and you're not listening, like, I don't imagine Krampus is coming to the parents being like, hey, the kid didn't do what it was supposed to. Is Krampus like, what is Krampus doing? Well, Krampus will kidnap 
um, bad little boys and torture yep. them with evil gingerbread creatures. <laughs> but like even on the counter, like mini Krampus, that's tough. Yeah, no, he's watching to make sure those kids are are keeping uh, are behaving, and if they're not, it's a bad thing. Okay, all right. We can get into that more um, after we <laughs> chat with our good friend Abby, who's with us, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Without further ado, she's wicked happy. It's Abby Dawson. <laughs> Abby, what's up, Scott? Do you lock away your uh, horrible children when they're bad? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's funny you bring up Elf. Uh, we tried it last year, and once we explained the premise to him, we said, "Hey, he's here to watch and report back to Santa on what you're doing." He was like, "Yeah, get him out of the house." <laughs> <laughs> he wanted none of it. <laughs> Smart kid. <laughs> no, you can buy you can buy clothes for your Elf on the shelf. You know that, right? Why? They do. They make the you have the standard traditional flair, right? The red costume, but you can get sweaters. My um, employee Maggie got a sweater, and it said Tito's on it, and she proclaimed herself to be the parent of the year. Yeah, I I saw that. They, I love me some Maggie. <laughs> love Maggie. Maggie's great. <laughs> it's the most Maggie's I've ever awesome. liked. Elf on the shelf. I know, right? So that's awesome. Hey, speaking of fantastic people who um, are great with uh, their children and don't need a elf on the shelf or a Krampus on the, uh, the counter. We have an amazing guest with us today. Um, her name is Christy Hool, and she's going to tell us all about those kinds of things in a little segment we call What's Your Deal? Hey, man. What's your deal? Christy. Hello. What's your deal? Well, first I want to say that we don't really do the holidays either. My husband feels very similar <laughs> uh, to Dan there, and we would just rather not even acknowledge them at all. Uh, but we do because, you know, we're pressured and society makes us, but we have gotten away from it quite a bit. We take trips and we just spend time with our kids. And if they want a present, hey, we'll get you a present. You know, I love that, that's Christy. awesome. I say be brave. You know, so recently I got some uh, I got some laptops to give to my nieces and nephews. And uh, my 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 parents and my brothers and sisters are like, oh, we'll wait till Christmas. That's such a good Christmas gift. I'm like, no, I want to give them a present now. I don't want to wait till Christmas. Yeah. They can have it now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, my kids are amazing human beings pretty much all year round. So why would I want to torture them and make them feel otherwise by making them wait until one day a year? And then it's over. Then you've got this Christmas depression. Nobody wants that. So it's like, just be happy all year. Boom. I'm with you, Dan. You know, I'm thinking this year too. Like, it's going to be um, not a lot of stuff. Uh, and my um, my my granddaughter had a birthday party, and it was excessive. I mean, made me ill. Kind of excessive as far as how many presents were given to her. Like, what do you do now? Like, the kid got like eighty things. I'm not kidding. And so, um, you know, it's, why can't it just be another? Ex- you know, Thanksgiving's becoming one of my favorite holidays because people. What is it about? Just get together with people you love and have a good time. Right. And, and, and enjoy one another. I think that that's kind of the, the path that we're on. So that to hear that you're going down that path or you're already there, that's inspiring. That's fantastic. I think that's a good thing. So, so talk to us a little bit about um, your, your own journey though. I'm interested. Yeah. In so, so my personal deal, uh, aside from how we celebrate the holidays is, you know, I am uh, an educator at heart. 
I started my educational journey right out of college, became an uh, elementary school teacher, loved every single second of it. My first year of teaching was pretty horrendous because they hired me as an overflow teacher, which means they had way too many kids in second grade and not enough teachers. So I came in in September after the school year had started and way back 20 plus years ago, they didn't have a system or a protocol for choosing children uh, appropriately to balance out the new classroom. And every teacher, there were seven teachers that were able to pick three to four children uh, that they would like to see leave their classroom and go into a new classroom. So you can only imagine the type of class that I had the first year of teaching. It was almost my last year of teaching, but I stuck it in. I absolutely love that class. And I taught for 10 more years in the elementary school setting in second and third grade. And then I moved into a assistant administrative position in a building of about a thousand children, loved it. And then very quickly moved up to the head principal position of another large district in Missouri and uh, spent about 10 years in that position and was moving my way into the superintendency and uh, decided to leave that environment for lots of, lots of reasons. Um, and now I have been homeschooling my children and uh, one of my children are still homeschooled, two are in the public school system, and I still dabble my toe every day in the world of education, whether that is uh, homeschool learning environments, uh, private school learning environments, charter school learning environments, public school, it makes no difference. Uh, education is truly something that happens across all settings. And um, so, yeah, so that's kind of what I do. I identify as an educator at heart. Um, and so that's kind of what my deal is. Well, that, that's fantastic. I'm super excited to, to hear more. Um, let's go ahead and dive into de uh, debunking some of these uh, homeschool myths, so to speak, with our topic of the week. Okay, Christy, hit us with some uh, myth busting, so to speak, of, about this idea of homeschooling. Well, myth number one, that all homeschool children are antisocial, do not have a lot of social skills, are awkward in groups of children. Absolutely not the case. Um, I have three children. Uh, my oldest son is a senior this year. Uh, my middle son is an eighth grader. And my youngest son is almost 12. And uh, all three of my children were homeschooled for approximately four to five years. And I, my 13-year-old social calendar is bigger than mine. Um, my, my children are all very, very much, um, acclimated to any environment that they go into. Um, they can hang out with any crowd of kids and get along great. And so, you know, I think one of the biggest myths is that, you know, kids that are in a homeschool environment don't get the social interaction and they, they can't hang out with normal kids and they're awkward. And that's just truly not the case. You know, I, I a hundred percent agree. We've, We've homeschooled my daughter for most of her academic life and, uh, you know, like drop her in any social situation and she'll take right off. Uh, you know, she's got this great like independent streak and just this great like no nonsense attitude nine times out of ten. And I'm just like, man, where did she get that from? Because it's not from me. And just it's awesome. So, yeah, no, I 100 percent agree with that. Yeah. And when I was growing up, I had I grew up in a big family. And I knew how to be around my siblings. I knew how to be around our family and our friends at home. Um, but at school, I was pretty like dorky and hung out with like <laughs> a very small crowd. 
I don't know if school really gave me the social skills that people um, just assume that you get there. Um, so I, I think that that's its own myth in some ways that school mm-hmm. just automatically somehow transfers these skills to mm-hmm. kids. Yeah. Well, and I think that people assume that being around a large group of children automatically makes you a more appropriately social person. And if you think about it, the school day consists of students sitting and not really being allowed to have um, dialogue or collaboration or conversation. Everyone is, you know, walking down the hallway in a row. No one is speaking. Kids have bubbles in their mouths. Kids are being asked to be quiet. Um, At my son's school, you know, they're sitting in assigned seats. Um, right now, and they're not even being allowed to talk to each other at lunch. And really, the only socialization that they're getting is when the teacher allows it or during passing time. And a lot of that stuff is not always the most appropriate type of interaction and socialization that I would want my children to be involved with. So we have to think about it from that standpoint as well. Yes. Awesome. So how difficult was that change for you? So, you know, spent a lot of time even, you know, working in the public sector and, and now um, you're going to go to homeschooling. How, how hard is it? Because my, my guess is that there's a bunch of folks in our audience that are like, yeah, that would be really great. I just don't know how and I'm kind of scared. So debunk that for us if you could. Absolutely. So, you know, my story is a little unique in the fact that uh, I was not the the educator that was didn't want to be in the school setting anymore and didn't want to be involved with that and felt that there were obstacles that my kids couldn't face and that I didn't enjoy it. It was really the opposite. I was um, very passionate. I was in love with my community when I was a school administrator. Um, I worked in, um, actually, I was administrator in Ferguson, Missouri, during the time of the uh, tragedy of civil unrest and the death of Michael Brown. Um, And so that really took a toll on us as a school community, but I I, I loved the, the kids. It was my dream job. I really wanted to be a superintendent. That was where I was headed after I received my doctorate degree. And um, we unfortunately had a lot of family loss uh, the year that I decided to leave. We lost my mother very, very unexpectedly and young in February of the year that I left. And then my father passed also very young and unexpectedly that November. Um, At the same time, my youngest son was diagnosed as having some developmental uh, disabilities, but he tested out of services um, in kindergarten. So he was really struggling. And so with all of these things happening in my life, I knew that I really was needed um, with my family. My family needed me. There was a lot going on when you lose parents like that with things back home. And I was one of the older siblings. So I was sort of thrust into that role of mom and dad with some of the younger siblings. And it was a difficult decision. It was probably one of the hardest decisions I've ever had to make to leave the public school environment. It was not something I wanted. And you can imagine the shock on everyone's faces because I was known in the district as this, you know, you know, full of energy and full of fire and wanting to change the world and loved public education to, okay, now I'm resigning within six months and I'm going to start homeschooling my youngest son with that. So Uh, My kids had a great public education when they were there. They went for the first couple of years of school. And, you know, like I said, my youngest son was was diagnosed at an early age with a a developmental disability. He didn't really receive services, wasn't going to receive services the next year. And every time I would sit down with the administrators at his school or his teachers, they would say, he's such a great kid. He's quiet, but he just doesn't qualify. He really needs one on one. But we cannot give that to him because of the system. The system won't allow him to have one-on-one 
Um, and he really needs that because he's getting lost. And we're talking about a five-year-old child. And so with me having the background in education that I did, I knew that it was my responsibility as not only his mother, but as an educator to take on that role and to make sure that he could thrive and flourish in an educational setting. And so that was the decision. All those decisions were sort of made in about the same six months. So you can imagine how quickly my life changed. And, you know, along with that comes a a loss of finances, a loss of, you know, your identity and who you are. You're this person that gets up and goes to school and loves these children. And I was leaving a school full of children that I truly loved dearly and their families to be where I needed to be, which was with my own children. And so with that, you know, my, my other son, who was at the time going into second grade, said, hey, mom. I wouldn't mind being homeschooled with you. This looks like, you know, great fun. And so he decided to be homeschooled. And so at that point, I was homeschooling both of my youngest children. And then my oldest son, about two years later, decided he wanted to do online curriculum at home and possibly graduate early. And so that's how all three of them came to be at home with me. So I think sometimes we think that folks who transition from public education to homeschooling are because they find an issue or a problem with the public education system. And that certainly was not the case with me. And I know that's not always the case with everybody that decides to do that. Um, A lot of families decide to homeschool for reasons completely outside of what's happening in the public education world. So it doesn't have to be an us against them. Yeah, I totally get it. That that makes sense. Um, What's another myth that you might find popular around homeschooling that that you may want to chat a little bit more about? Oh, another myth. So I also think that students um, that are homeschooled um, are missing out on all of these grand opportunities that public school children have. The dances, homecoming, prom, um, you know, that they're not getting the full experience of this wonderful, you know, school setting. Um, And, you know, that's just not the truth because my children at home have had so many other opportunities for experiences because they we weren't constrained by a public school schedule. If we wanted to travel, we could travel. If we wanted to go somewhere and learn for the day, we could do that. So they have those kinds of memories and those kinds of experiences. And it wasn't so much about um, missing out on a dance or missing out on an event at a school. That's great. All right. So we've made the decision, right? We're going to go ahead and we're going to do this. We're going to go ahead and step into uh into a homeschool environment, what do I, what do I need to be successful? How do we create that environment at home where um, you're you're going to have the best chances for success? What what has your experience been like in that arena? Well, I can tell you that when I um, and another myth, uh, this kind of goes along with what I'm getting ready to say is you do not have to have an educational background to be an excellent homeschool parent, and I think that's a myth that a lot of people think, oh, well, you don't have any background in education. Well, you can't, you certainly can't teach your own child. And that's just ridiculous. Um, Some of the best homeschool parents I've seen have absolutely no experience um, at the college level in education. So I wanna get that out there. And, you know, I can tell you that honestly, possibly my experience in education was really sort of, it it didn't benefit me at first because that's all that I knew. And so, to be in a homeschool setting with these children, the very first thing that I did was to replicate the public school setting. And it did not work for us. But I, it took me six months to a year to realize this isn't what this should be. Um, I had, 
I mean, it, it was so funny because my husband, I'll never forget one day I had, you know, we turned our dining room into a homeschool room and I had their three little desks set up in a row. And I had the teacher's desk over here and I had the reading corner over here and I had the bookshelf over here and I had my files. And I even, I kid you not, went so far as to have the little pole American flag sticking out of the top of my doorway <laughs> in the dining room. Not joking. I had name tags. But that was all that I knew. That was who I was. I had done that for 20 plus years. I had bulletin boards in my home. I had behavior charts hanging in the room. And so it wasn't working. And there were a lot of tears. There were a lot of frustrations. There was push and pull between me and my children. And one day my husband, who also works from home, came up and said, what are you doing? And I said, well, I'm teaching. What do you mean? <laughs> I'm teaching. And he said, but this is like a public school. That's all you've done. You, you're, this isn't truly homeschool. You're, you've just taken what you did in the public school, which doesn't work in a homeschool setting because in a public school, you have to have a system. You have to have organization. You're dealing with hundreds of children where in your home, you're only dealing with two or three and it can look much differently. And so once I realized that, I was able to let go of some of those things. That was hard for me to let go of the behavior chart, to let go of the Pledge of Allegiance every morning, to let go of the, the seating in rows um, and really let my children learn organically, learn through experiences. Um, I had to figure out what type of a learner my child even was. And that was difficult, a difficult pill for me to swallow that I don't even really know because I had never been their teacher. And so I think if you walk into the most perfect homeschool setting, it's children learning, engaging, talking, discussing, inquiring, questioning, um, engaging in things that they love and that they're passionate about and that they want to um, become better just all around people because of it, regardless of what the material is. Christy, I love that story. And I'm sure there's so many people who in the past year or two felt that way. I saw so many Instagram posts and friends on Facebook who'd set up the desk and they had the the everything on the walls that they thought made it feel like a school. And it, I'm sure no matter how hard they tried, they were like, why isn't this working? <laughs> I don't get why isn't this working? Um, and And I think that's an excellent point to say you shouldn't be replicating um, something that is intrinsically different. Um, my neighbor across the street has five kids who she homeschools. And when you walk into their house, it doesn't look like a school. There's a swing in the middle of the house where they go play. There's musical instruments. There's a whole room for that. Um, there's a room where they spend a lot of their time that's just like a communal. Everyone gathers around a table, but it's not, it's not a school environment, but they're thriving. Um, and I think she's doing a lot of the things you're talking about where she's finding what works for them. That's great. So I, I guess that begs a question, like how do we, uh, and probably a two-part question, right? So the first part, you know, the learner in me is going to be like, well, how do we assess, right? What are the tools for assessment as to if they're learning and grasping and, and growing in the way that we want them to? Um, and then, you know, how can, or what tools are available to help us get there, right? So talk a little bit about, you know, this idea of assessing how well we're doing and then some tools that maybe you've discovered that can help you be more successful at imparting and helping them grow in the way that you want them to. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's a really good question because I do get that a lot from folks that reach out to me, um, especially now that I have, you know, two of my children are now back in the public school setting. And that's, you know, another another uh, myth that you can't, you know, ha- do both. Well, I've been doing it for the last two years and all my kids are very successful in their own way. Um, I have two, two children in public school and one still at home. And um, so I think the assessment piece is, is really something that folks automatically you know, say, oh my gosh, well, how do you know if your child is is doing what they're supposed to be doing at a certain age or a certain milestone or developing or learning? Um, so one, there's thousands and thousands upon thousands of different assessments to assessment tools that you can find online. You simply could really just get on Google and type in uh, reading assessment, uh, math assessments, and you can get as deep as you want with these assessments. Most of them are free. Um, you can download test after test after test after test. Um, you know, you can download uh, little text uh, passages that will show you how to read with your child. And they'll say this is a third grade passage. You know, if your child can read through this with only having, you know, missing five words, they're on grade level and these things. So there are thousands of tools out there by simply just Googling assessment for whatever the topic is. Uh, you can always go to um, your state's uh, website um, in Missouri. It's DESE, it's Department of Elementary and Secondary Education, and they will give you every single standard for every grade level and tell you exactly what your child should be learning and should be mastering for each grade. So if you choose to go that route and you want to make sure that your child is keeping on par with everybody else in their grade level, the material is there. You just simply have to find it. Uh, But I think one of the more important things to that question, um, Scott, is how do you know where your child already is? And how important is it for your child to be at the exact same spot as every other third grader in the nation? Um, And so figuring out where your child is um, on their learning journey and how they learn best to me is much more important than where is my child performing, especially at the beginning stages of homeschooling. And that was something that I struggled with because I thought that I knew my children better than anybody. But as a typical mother at that time of three children that were in public school, I had the same song and dance that every other or or the majority of, I guess I should say, parents have. I went to work, they went to school, they came home, I looked at their binder, wrote, saw if they had homework, made sure they finished their homework, signed any papers that I needed to sign, figured out what they were working on for the day, put it back in their book bag, put them to bed, they got up, took the book bag, went to school. Repeat, repeat, repeat. That was great. I knew how my kids were performing based on their letter grades and their percentages and what the teacher said, but I really truly didn't know the kind of learners that my children were. And I mean, that, that actually really was an emotional um, break for me because as a mother and an educator, I thought I should have known that and I didn't. And so when I decided to homeschool my children, it took a good six months for me to figure out how my children learned best, what kind of a learner, were they tactile learners, were they auditory learners, um, were they visual learners, um, and what really motivated them to learn. So I think that's that's a bigger hump for for folks that are considering homeschooling or that have done homeschooling. Um, we have to do that. You have to know how your kids learn or you're not going to be able to teach them. You can shove every workbook in the world or every online program in the world down your child's throat. But if that's not how they learn and that's not how they take in information best, it's not going to work for them. Um, so I do think it's important, though, I want to say I do think it's important that you uh, you have a good understanding of milestones and developmental um, 
marks that your children should be hitting and reaching. And if they're not reaching those marks as you see most fit for your child, then you do need to have interventions. You do need to have support and you do need to figure out a way to teach them and to have them learn so that they can be um, where they should be with reading and math. You know, those are obviously and writing. Those are three of the most important things. Um, Social studies and science really can be learned authentically and organically. Um, So I try not to get too excited about those things when I talk about assessment with my children. But I do think you need to have a good understanding of where your child should sit um, on the developmental um, scale, per se, with their peers. Christy, what I'm hearing, too, is I don't everything you've just said, I'm thinking I should know that about my son anyway. I mean, last year was crazy, right? Suddenly people were homeschooling when they weren't necessarily ready for it. And going forward, I see a future where there's a lot more blended. Sometimes you'll be learning from home. Sometimes you'll be learning from school. Um, I think those are things people are going to want to have be ready to do, uh, ready to assess, uh, knowledgeable about where their kids are, um, knowledgeable about not just is my kid on the right path for a third grader at this school, but where's he nationally? It's, you know, I want to really understand what the school is and isn't doing and excelling at. Um, what kind of skills do you see for like the average parent? Maybe I'm not always going to homeschool, but am I ready when they do come home to do these things? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, you know, every kid is different. Um, my youngest son is uh, autistic. And um, so that was a whole different world that I had to get into because I definitely was not an expert in uh, special education or the teachings of special education students. Um, So I think that really just it's more of a marathon and not a sprint. You're not going to figure out how your kid learns best on day one or day two or probably even the first month. It's going to take a while for you to allow your child to have different experiences and to learn in different ways before you really get a good understanding of what their um, learning style or styles, because a lot of children have multiple learning styles that rise to the top, really are. But, you know, I think um, skills as a parent is just the ability and the motivation to research, to read books, to learn, to watch your child, to observe, to not be in a hurry, to get them to be exactly like every other child you know, it's like when we talk about, you know, I have a couple of, of friends that have younger children that are in the in the stages of potty training. And they're just, oh my gosh, my child is, you know, three and they're not potty trained and they're really panicking. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't even really remember how old my kids were when they were potty trained, but I'm pretty sure it was, you know, they weren't going to kindergarten in a diaper. Um, but when we're in that moment, we're so worried about being in line with where everybody else is that we sometimes let that take over instead of really just enjoying the process of learning and enjoying the process of watching our children get excited about something that they love and passionate about it and figuring out a way to learn that in a different way as opposed to here's the curriculum the school is using. Here's the curriculum that they said to use on this website. We're going to do page one on day one, then we're going to do page two on day two, and we're just going to keep going. Um, so, yeah, I think it's just, you know, all parents have the ability to, to educate their children if they really are invested um, in, in their education. Yeah, so I want my child to learn more, right? So she or he comes home, had a great day at school. I think a lot of us to go, hey, how was your day at school? And 
whatever answer I may get or not get is kind of the end of it, right? That's kind of what we do. So I'm really interested in uh, hearing your experience. Like, how do we um, implement learning into our daily lives, right? Into our children's daily lives. So they come home or maybe it's the weekend. What are some of those things that you did with your kids that, you know, our audience can start to do with theirs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's a great question. And so I think sometimes we separate school and life. And a lot of folks do that, like what you're talking about, Scott, right? You're like, oh, okay, you had a great day at school. How was school? Fine. I mean, if you have a teenager, it's, uh, 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 you know, it depends on, it depends on how old your child is. And, you know, I have two teenage boys, almost three teenage boys. And like I said, one is a senior in public school this year, and one is an eighth grader, um, 13 going on 37. And so, you know, their response when they come home is, eh, eh. but I really don't let it go with that. I will continue to ask questions and I continue to listen. And I, instead of asking them so many questions, I will just listen and I'll just let them sort of, even if they're talking to me about something that happened in the lunchroom with a group of kids or a group of guys, that was an important part of their day. So I listened to that instead of brushing that off and saying, okay, well, yeah, it was lunch, but what did you do in math? What did you do in science? How is this going? Um, and so, you know, I just want to get that out there that it is hard when you have children in public school, because remember, I have two kids in public school and one at home. So my homeschoolers education, I am creating. So I am fully aware because I have created that for them. And I am with them every minute of that education. And I am um, providing those resources for them. So he's a little bit easier um, for me to immerse in a daily um, life of education. We, we learn all the time. We don't, we don't homeschool from, you know, eight o'clock to three o'clock. So, and I'll be honest with you. And I know a lot of parents are probably going to disagree with this and that's okay because this is our journey and everybody has their own. But if my son, my homeschool son is tired at eight o'clock and he's had a late night, or maybe he, like I said, he's autistic. Sometimes he stems. And so he has a hard time going to sleep at night. Um, I will let him sleep until he needs to wake up. Um, now I can't do that with my public school kiddos because they are on a school schedule. They have to get up and be in class at a certain time and get done. Um, and if my younger son has to work until four o'clock, okay, if we learn on the weekends, okay, he's still gonna get the material, he's still gonna learn and he's not tired. Um, so I think that's one of the great things. But you know, I think even small things as when you talk about how can we make sure and immerse our children in learning all the time while we're living, um, you know, we just did a thing the other day where we were in the kitchen and we were cooking and we had some uh, cabbage juice left over from the cabbage that we were we were steaming and boiling. And so I thought, hmm, chemical reactions. We could take this red cabbage juice and add baking soda, vinegar, and we're going to get a chemical reaction. And so we sort of went from doing the cabbage to a little science experiment um, on the countertop. Um, at the end of that, instead of throwing away all the extra cabbage juice, we poured it in a couple. And if you know, cabbage juice is purple when you cook it um, and you drain the cabbage, the juice that's left over is, is, is purple. And so if you add certain elements to that, it's going to change color. It's going to change um, the way that it appears. It's, you know, you've got your acids, your bases. And so you can integrate that. And it was like 10 minutes. But he got awesome. the idea of a chemical a chemical reaction with a cabbage juice. And it wasn't like I didn't have a worksheet. I didn't have a, you know, a big thing. I said, here, throw this apron on. Let's, let's pour some of this. And, you know, bam, you've got a science experiment in your kitchen based off of what you just cooked. And you can do that with a million things, right? Um, and that wasn't part of our school. That wasn't a planned activity. 
It just happened. Um, you know, the other big thing that I think folks don't realize that they can do is books. Um, we love books. We have thousands of children's books, novels, you know, young adult books in our home. My kids love to read. I love to read. Um, their dad reads. And so we, I will strategically place books all over my house. I will put books on the back of their toilet, um, like <laughs> sort of standing up. You know how they do in the bookstore when they put books on the shelf so you can see the covers? Kids are going to grab a book eventually if you put them in enough places. If they're on the coffee table, the fireplace mantle, the windowsill in the kitchen, um, and just nonchalantly putting them in their line of sight, they're going to grab a book. They're going to become interested. And that's not something you have to plan. It's just small little ways that you can push learning into their everyday life and make it a lifestyle and not a separation from what you're always doing. I, I love that. You know, with, with, with my kid, we moved to year round and we moved the school year start to January. So that way it's like, just with like, Hey, like this is what the rest of the world is on. So let's move away from like this idea that school starts in the fall. Cause that's kind of like a weird leftover. And then, you know, same thing, like looked at her and said, okay, cool. Here's the curriculum what subjects do you want to learn this year? Like, wh what do we want to add to this curriculum? And just like putting, putting her in charge of her education to build this idea that like learning, just like you said, is, is happening all the time. So I love that idea. Yeah. Yeah. And who doesn't have a Google or an Alexa in their house? Yeah. Everybody, everybody, you know, in the mornings we'll play Beethoven or Mozart the kids don't know that I'm doing like a music lesson. It's our music unit. But if they listen to enough classical music um, in the mornings, they're going to recognize it. They're going to be familiar with it. They're going to know the names of some composers. Do I care that my children know when Mozart was born and died? No, absolutely not. Not important information. Hey, good to know if you're a music major and if you really are interested in that. What I want for my children is I want them to appreciate it. I want them to recognize it. I want them to understand the basic concept of what makes up classical music and how it's different from jazz or hip hop. Um, that's what I want for my children. I want them to have experiences and not shove a bunch of insignificant dates and, and facts down their throat and make them memorize it for the sake of memorizing it and they'll never use it again in their life. So are there things that they do have to memorize? Yes. Are there things that they do need to understand and know how to do in math um, and, and basic equations? And Yes. But for the most part, I think a lot of that can be done away with because um, the kids don't remember it anyway. I like this idea of creating like a lifestyle. I, I'm glad you said that. And having this kind of immersive at home, we're having music on while we're doing things that that also kind of contributes to this growth and experience. I feel like that would translate to a place where like you're just a more um, when you're ready to learn something, you're open to it. When I'm ready to pick up a book, I'm it's there for me um, versus like, otherwise you're waiting in the classroom for the teacher to say, this is when we're learning this. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how, how have you seen that change your kids? And um, have you ha, have you seen it um, as something maybe we could integrate a little more into um, just public school kids, too, so so we can bring that more to them? Yeah, I think when we talk about what's happening in public school, it's, you know, I am a, and I am an advocate for teachers. I love teachers. Um, I, you know, obviously, there's always teachers that maybe should find something else to do besides being in front of a classroom full of children. And maybe that wasn't their calling and they should maybe move on. 
but I think that's true of any occupation. But I think that the majority of, of educators that are in schools are really confined by a systematical problem in the United States. It's not a teacher problem. It's not a principal problem. It's not a family problem. It's a systematic problem that we have, that we are still doing school like we did when school systems started in the industrial age. Um, and it's been really difficult to move away from that. And so I do see that I have seen a lot of positive changes in the public school setting where we're, we're going more from the teacher sort of being the sage on the stage um, to uh, teachers really attempting, um, even though confined by a system and a lot of um, constraints, uh, going more to a collaboration, um, a student-led inquiry-based learning. So I know they're trying to do that, but that's hard to break out of when you're in such a strong system um, that spans, you know, every state and, you know, across the nation. And so I think that teachers that are attempting to even be open to those types of learning environments, you know, cell phones is a big, a big controversy right now where you have a lot of schools and a lot of teachers that are really trying to embrace uh, the technology of cell phones and students with cell phones. And then you still have a lot of schools that are, are re very resistant to students having even touching their cell phone during the school day. Um, and so <clears throat> to me, you know, when you talk about a topic like that, why would you ever think that all of a sudden this child is going to perform for you and be really paying attention to you when their whole identity is the cell phone, a lot of kids, and they're now not allowed to use that for eight hours and, and it's, it's been glued to their hand until they walk into a classroom. And now you want, that's how they learn. Kids are learning through their cell phones, whether we want to admit it or not. That's how they're getting their information. Not always good information, but and what do we do? I'm going to Google something as soon as I, you know, I was thinking of something that we were just talking about. As soon as we get off here, I'm going to pick up my cell phone and I'm going to Google it, or I'm going to text somebody, or I'm going to find something out, but we're not allowing children to have that same ability and it is stifling them. And so I think, you know, things in public school that can be changed. I think there's a lot of control still in public schools from teachers to students. You do it because I said you do it. You turn your paper in on this day. You get, you know, if you don't turn it in, it's a zero. It doesn't matter if you understand the work or not because you didn't follow the rule. So I think the, the, the quicker we're able to get rid of some of those things, the better off our children are going to be because they're just fighting the system at this point. I totally agree. You know, I've worked in plenty of places where like cell phones aren't allowed and there are lots of good reasons why like personal identifiable information stuff like that but like even with adults like when you're like hey you just can't have your cell phone here like it's a struggle and it's a fight and so like in a place where there's no reason other than because i don't want you to to have a cell phone like that's that's silly that's like that's just like yeah, looking for a fight to fight somebody <laughs> yeah Dan, I'm so glad you brought that up. I mean, we're dabbling in mobile learning design right now. And I feel like, especially in the space that I'm in, like that's been a real challenge because in, in the corporate environment, it's all like HR is like, oh, no, no, we're salaried employees. Like we can't encourage them to do mobile learning because what if they're off the clock? Now we're going to get it. I'm like, they're going to do it anyway. Like they're <laughs> yeah. going to do it anyway. So what? What are you doing? What are you trying to protect them from? Growth, learning? At what point in time? Like, I love what you're talking about. Like, our job in the learning sphere is to encourage discovery, not to be cops, right? And so what I love about what you're talking about is this whole idea of discovery is all around us, right? It's everywhere. And our ability to create moments where we get the discovery that's important um, I think is is really extremely valuable and something that we all should be striving for, whether or not we send our kids to public school or not. 
which does mm-hmm. beg a question. So you've got two kids in public school, and I'm gonna I'm gonna assume that they were with mom for a while, right? And mm-hmm. you got one yes. at home. Talk about that. Talk to us a little bit about that. How challenging is that to do both? And then more importantly for me, like I I want to know like. Okay, I'm. I'll. I'll be completely transparent. I would be like, "What? You want to go back to public school? W- was I not good enough? Like that imposter syndrome, <laughs> like yes. would yeah. just totally yeah. take over. Uh-huh. Like, oh, I suck at this, and I should be really good at that. Like, mm-hmm. that's can't be the case. So, talk to us a little bit about that journey and the challenge, and how you're dealing with that. Yeah, I, and I, I love the fact that you asked that question because it was an interesting couple of conversations that we have. And you know, I've always allowed my children the ability to. Um, while still being respectful, um, to talk to us about how they feel. Um, you know, my kids are older and and they're very intelligent. And like I said, they're wonderful kids. And so my 13 year old, uh, he's now 13. Um, he finished out sixth grade here at home with us. And I knew that my child, my 13 year old child was extremely social. Um, he is extremely athletic. Um, at the time, because we weren't in school, he was wrapped up in the world of martial arts and jujitsu, uh, Brazilian jujitsu, which he was doing outside of the school setting, obviously, because he was at home, but he was going to tournament after tournament. And I believed at one point he was ranked number two in the state of Illinois at 12 years old. Um, and I knew that he was, he had a lot of friends from the neighborhood. Um, and I knew that he was itching to have a different experience. Um, I knew that he was growing up and he really was craving those experiences outside of our home. And so when he brought that to my attention and said, hey, mom, dad, you know, I feel like I really wouldn't mind going back to public school starting middle school. We had to have those conversations and say, this is how it's going to be different. This is going to these are going to be still our expectations. Um, Why do you want to go to public school? Let's talk about that. And, and did we feel like, you know, when you're 12 and 13 and you're a, a young man at that age, because kids are growing up way faster. I mean, I was still playing with Barbie dolls at 10 years old and 11 years old. And that's unheard of today. Um, but when you're growing up in today's world, they're more mature. And my my 13 year old is very mature for his age. And, and we said, you know what I said, son, I support you. Um, and however you feel you're going to learn and thrive best at this point in your life. So let's try it. You know, the worst that could happen is you go into the public school setting. Um, you don't feel comfortable. You're not successful. And you come home and you homeschool. I mean, you know, homeschooling is like you write a letter, you call up there and say, hey, I want to, you know, withdraw my child from your registration and he'll be coming home next week. Um, so he said, OK, great. Let's give it a try. That was that conversation. He started middle school and he has flourished. He has um, been on the, the eighth grade football team. He's now on the basketball team. He does very well. Um, he's very well liked amongst his peers. Um, he fit in great. And, you know, I think also with that, it was a similar situation with my son, my older son, who's now a senior. He had been very happy with homeschool, but he wanted to, you know, be with his friends and he wanted to do the whole senior year and, and all those things. And we had the same conversation with him. Um, and, you know, I had to be very proactive with the school. I think that's another issue is you have to have a very close relationship and you have to communicate with these teachers because these are my children that I have taught for the last four or five years at home. And now I'm sort of just lending them to you and trusting you. So I am extremely involved in my child's education. I talk to their teachers at least once a week just to check in. You know, I, 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 I wish that parents would 
have a more proactive relationship with teachers and less of a reactive relationship with their teachers. You know, a lot of parents don't even know who their kids' teachers are until something bad happens. Um, and I chose not to do that. So I was on the email and phone with these teachers day one, appreciating them, thanking them, giving them background on my child. My, my lines of communication are always open for you. I support you and we're in this together to educate these kids. And so it was difficult. I was very, very sad. I think I probably cried a few times because I was used to being with them every day, all day and having that, that relationship with them. But I knew that I had to let them kind of go off on their own and do what they felt that they needed to do to flourish. And it's been, you know, so far it's worked out really, really well. My son's going to graduate this year and he's straight A student. Um, he's a wonderful kid. And my, my son will be in, my other son will be in high school next year. And again, he's very happy and he's doing well. And that's all that, that I can ask for my children. It's so refreshing to hear that it's like something you can try, that there's permission to say, let's try it. And we can always change. And that you don't have to make the change because of a failure, but maybe just because it's an opportunity to do something else. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I agree. And it's, it's, if they fail, they fail. That's how you learn. And we, we try something else. You know, we're here to support them in their journey in all areas of life, not just, oh, well, if you don't do this, this or this, then you have to come back home. You know, we don't want to use it as a punishment. We want to use it as a support. And if it doesn't work for you, we're here to help lift you up in another way, shape or form. You know, learning can look different for every kid. And, you know, I mean, look at how many athletes and how many celebrities never spent a day in public school. They had tutors. They were homeschooled because they had to spend their time on the ice or in the gym, gymnasium or something like that. So it's really not about public school in my mind versus homeschool. It's about how can we all work together because we have the same goal and that's to raise healthy, productive, educated, inquiry-based um, learners that are gonna one day run the country. Um, and so that's really, it's a, it's a big job. And I think instead of being separated, we have to come together and work as a whole unit, whether we're in public education, homeschool, or, or whatever that looks like for us. Yeah, I love how you talked about this idea of, um, you know, a safe space and, and being okay with failing as well. Because I think that's one of the things that's a real big challenge for us in the educational and learning field is creating moments for failure in a safe way. And, I, and I'm just super excited to hear about how naturally that can occur in the home and in some of the things that we can do to reinforce like, hey, well, you know, it didn't turn out the way the, this science experiment, the kitchen caught on fire, right? But <laughs> hey, we, didn't we, we all learned something really great. And isn't that, that isn't that an awesome thing, right? Uh, okay. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm just speaking now, metaphorically. What is the difference that's what between black smoke kitchen. and brown smoke? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> That would have been my kitchen. Hey, let's have this science experiment, Austin. Yeah. Let's let's do this. And yeah. you know, wife would have came home. What did you do? <laughs> we we learned. learned something. We learned. We learned. Yeah. Tomorrow we're gonna learn yeah. how to paint. <laughs> yes. But yeah, but I mean, just think about this. Think about the cell phone thing for a minute. If you if you gave a, a fourth grader his cell phone and had him use his texting app to write sentences to a friend, as opposed to giving him a blank sheet of paper and a pencil and saying, I want you to write five sentences. Which one of those experiences do you think that he's going to learn the most from and be the most engaged on? Yeah. I, mean, I can promise you it's going to be the cell phone. I let my younger son text all day long to his grandmother, to his brothers, 
because he loves to do that. And I'm like, hey, doesn't want to. And let's be honest. When's the last time you took a piece of paper and wrote anything to anybody? Yeah, I can't remember the last time I did it. It's either on the computer or on my phone. (laughs) Right. Yeah, and you know, and this is a tool that's going to be with us forever, right? Yeah. So you finding ways to utilize that tool in a productive way is really important. And one of the challenging things that I would just toss out: Hey, listen, can you teach your audience, whether it be adults or children, how to uh, use the tool in a productive way without it running their lives? Right. I can't tell you how many kinds of of conversations I've had with people around attention management of hey, turn off those notifications or this is a this is the way that you know that you can use this productively without it you know totally taking over our lives, which is so easy. It's so easy. And I'm and I'm uh I'm a recovering phone addict. Still am sometimes, right? Catch me on a couch and the Netflix shows and all that, right? Oh, gosh, golly gee, where am I today? So um I love that idea and I think it's really important for us to step more into that that realm. And to further that, Scott, to your point, like the students who are uh, interacting with their phones all day, who are um, getting notifications all day, we're not going to train them in the workforce the same way we're training the people who are in there now. So it's important for us to understand how they learn, how learning's changing so that we're really able to support them when they get to us. Yeah, that's really cool. And that does beg a a question, like as we begin to wrap things up. objectives like we've been talking in the last few weeks about the importance of objectives so i'm gonna go ahead and um you know homeschool my children talk to us a little bit about what were some of the objectives you had for your kids like what was really important to you and then what were some of the things that and i know you were purposeful about it what what were some of the purposeful things that you did to to ensure that they were successful and, and met those objectives Yeah, I think that a couple of my objectives when I decided to homeschool um, for my children was I wanted them to be self-starters and I wanted them to be self-learners. And what did I have to do, right? Looking at at it from a backwards design, if at the age of 16, I want my child to be able to research and learn on his own without someone having to shove the information and tell him what page to be on, looking backwards, how do I get that to, how do I get my child to be that way at that age, right? He's five now at 16. I want him to be a self-starter, a self-learner. I want him to be able to, to critique things. I want him to be able to collaborate and to have an intelligent conversation with people on a certain topic. How do I go about doing that? And then you just take those steps, right? You start taking steps for independence. You start um, inspiring and fostering the love of learning in everyday life. You find out what their passions are and you allow them to do that. Um, you know, now you're now you've got your goal, your objective. I want my child to be, um, you know, just using that example, a self-starter and a self-learner and, and self-motivated and engaged by learning. How do I make that happen? I wanted my children to be avid readers. And whether it was something that I chose for them to read or that they chose for themselves to read, I wanted my children to love reading I, because that's really the crux of learning. That's how you learn most things. It starts by being able to read what you want to learn about. Um, along with the visual aspect of learning and listening. Um, I think, you know, one of my other objectives was uh, along with, I want them to be self-motivated, self-started, self-starter learners, um, is I wanted them to have the ability to really truly listen and to communicate um, with people. Because I feel like that's something that's missing with our children is 
they're already so worried about what they need to say next or what you they think you want them to say next. Sometimes we don't really listen to them and they then form a bad habit of not being good listeners either. And listening, really, really listening is a really difficult tool and skill to have. Um, so I wanted my children to be good communicators, um, good listeners, and I just wanted them to be kind people. Um, and you learn about a lot of how to be that way through experiences in learning and being around different types of people and being understanding and compassionate and um, having empathy for other people in, in different situations. And so, yeah, I think those were some of my overall goals for my children. I never had a goal of I want them to be able to do, um, you know, uh, calculus by the age of whatever. I, I never really had academic goals like that for them, but I knew I wanted them to be at a specific reading level and, and you know, math level and things like that. But really, I just wanted them to be um, motivated, productive citizens, you know, that can take care of themselves. And at 18, you got to go. You know, I have three, I have three boys that are going to be three men. You, you have to be able to take care of yourself um, and be productive and give something back. So that was some of my objectives going into it. And I wrote all that down. I wrote every year I write new goals for my kids. And then how do I accomplish those goals? That is so great. And, you know, I think it's so important too, because one of the challenges that I think that we have today is that we're not necessarily preparing our kids to be, well, effective citizens or even be effective at life, right? So we spend far too much time on, you know, where do they land on the assessment, right? Versus, gee, do I know how to balance my checkbook? Yeah. Um, yeah do do I know sure. how to have good conversations with people? Um, do I know how to be kind to other people? I mean, they're, they're, and we just assume that that's, that's happening. But if we assume that that's happening, I think we're really missing out on the opportunity that we as either parents or people within that child's tribe have to influence, educate, and inspire. Um, and, I, and that's what I love about our time w with you today, Christy, is you've really done that, like really educate, influence, and, and inspire uh, those people to be thinking about that. Because if we don't, we're going to get what we get, right? So, uh, and with that, unfortunately, we're kind of coming up on time, but I do want to give you an opportunity to kind of like, hey, listen, in the time we've got left, what are some things that you would like to leave with our audience that you didn't have a chance to talk about? I would love to leave the idea of embracing the process of learning in life and experiences um, with your children, whether you're a teacher, um, really embrace that and live in the moment with them and try not to be too caught up in grades, assessments, all of those things. Really look at these children um, through a different lens um, that the, you are raising, you know, these young men and women, and it's a big responsibility. And it, again, like I said, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. You don't have to get there today or tomorrow, but just keep working at it. Um, and, you know, your child is not, I tell my kids this all the time. And you know, I say to my sons, you're not the most important person in the room. It has to be about something else besides you sometimes. Um, teaching our children humility. And I know that's hard with social media now um, to get them out of that me, me, me mindset. But um, really just embracing the journey with your children and your students. Fantastic. Christy, thanks so much. Love this time. It's great. I'm inspired. This is, this is cool. Could you do us a favor? Could you tell our audience how they could connect with you and get more of this groovy stuff? 
Absolutely. And thank you so much uh, for having me on. It's a great podcast. Like I said, I've listened to several episodes. I love it. So um, I'm super pumped that I got to spend some time with you guys today. Um, Yeah, folks can reach me. I actually have a podcast as well. It's called Classroom Matters. um, And you can find that on uh, Apple, uh, Spotify. Um, You can also find me at a website. It's educate.today. And there are lots of uh, fun K through 12 online resources for students um, and teachers and parents there. You can uh, contact me there. You can also just contact me, um, Christy, uh, at educate.today. And please feel free, reach out, questions, assistance, help, whatever. I'm always here. So, Thank you. Great. Well, we appreciate that, um, that you're listening to us. And, um, you know, um, doors always open if you want to interview any one of us. That would be fantastic. I would love to be on your show. Do some cross-pollinating. Danielson. Yes, Scott. You do me a solid. Could you let our listeners know how they could connect with us? Yeah, absolutely. All right, party people. If you haven't already, hit us up at learningnerdscast at gmail.com. Email us any questions you might have. Join in the discussion. We want to hear from you. If you're at Facebook, you can find us at Learning Nerds. And lastly, for all you Instagram party people, we're Fab Learning Nerds. Scott? Hey, folks, that's going to wrap things up. Once again, want to thank our guest, Christy Houle. Fantastic stuff on homeschooling and just how to be uh, how to be purposeful with your kids. Great stuff. Do me a favor. Could you go ahead and hit subscribe on that button wherever you're getting your podcast so you can get more of us? Uh, feel free to share that out with your friends. And if you're getting us on iTunes, Stitcher, or any other podcatcher, do us a favor. Leave us a review. We'd like to know how we're doing. We'd like to know how we can improve. With that, I'm Scott. I'm Dan. I'm Abby. I'm Christy. And we're your fabulous learning nerds, and we are out. Thanks for listening to the Fabulous Learning Nerds. You know, there are a lot of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention. Meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment of offerings. If you're if you're thinking of giving it a try, if you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flex time without the common challenges. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.